recording. What do we do again? We, we say, you had us at... Hello. Hello! We did it! It's been a year, Billy Murnett. Oh, my lord. What a difference a mm, year makes. Yes, kind of, sort of. Hello, yes. everybody. Hi, folks. Um, Billy's already... Shut up. I've turned into a noise Nazi, and um, he's already shuffling his papers. <laughs> I'm sitting on my hands now. And, um, yeah. So we come to you on this, the end of a decade... Uh, how are you, Billy? Should we just do our ramshackle? How's your life been? Because we haven't actually done a pod in 2019, and I can only blame life on I think on that. We've both been very busy, which is good. It's a right? good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. We did do one pod that we didn't um, put out yet because it's really about Billy's book that's coming out because um, he has um, done a re-release of Writer's Romantic Comedy. Shall Indeed. I let you tell that story? Yeah, well, it's been in print for 20 years and now I've added 100 pages to it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Including and some new films. And, and a, two decades worth of new films and new references. So it's revised, expanded, updated, and featuring an interview with Tess Morris in the center of the book. She is the midpoint of the new edition. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like being the midpoint. Yes, and it's a splendid interview. Um, and I think it captures the spirit. See, now the... my, see now me stalking you all those years ago and to write my movie and to meet you feels worth it because now I'm the midpoint in a book that is about the romantic, romantic comedy. comedy. Yeah, and you're immortal. And when's yeah. it coming out? February 11th here in the States. And I, I'm pretty sure it's similar in Britain. And... Um, uh, you can check my website and plays. I'm going to do a couple of events. Oh, we're going to promote the fuck out of it. We'll promote the fuck out of it, and maybe we'll even get another podcast in on the eve of. Who knows? One hundred percent. I okay. I'm committed now. This year has been oh. um, a, a shit show, <laughs> so, um, but in a good way and in a bad but, way. But as Billy Crystal used to say, you look marvelous. Thank you. I so do you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's been, so we have no excuses other than just life got in the way. And yeah. then I've been in Australia and then London for three months. So well, there was some pretty, geographical I mean, yeah. things. In there were obstacles. Exactly. Yes. But we decided that we would pull it together, pull it, pull it together, pull ourselves together. It uh, A bit rusty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to do you a final 2019 pod. Um, now we do have a vague structure. Yes. Um, Basically, what's happened in 2019 is having had the huge revival of 2018, um, this year seems to be a tale as old as rom-com time. Yes. Um, they suddenly went away again. Well, it's disturbing. There was a, 2018 was the summer of romantic comedy. When Correct. Netflix had something like 80 million viewers and uh, you couldn't, you know, throw a rock without hitting a rom-com on your TV set. And uh, Crazy Rich Asians did really well. And so there was a sudden blossoming by the end of 2018 where everybody thought, ah, it's back. It's good. And then for reasons that are not entirely clear, 2019 has actually been an abysmal year. For it's so, comedy. it's, I mean, I actually feel like it's in line with um, all other movies on some level. And we shouldn't True. probably worry too much because it really is what happens to a lot of genres. Mm -hmm. I think in particular, this year felt like suddenly everyone was going, hang on, where have they all gone again? But that really is what romantic comedy is and has been to us ever since we started this podcast on many levels, is banging the drum for it and being told it's going away again and then it comes back. Well, so... and to be fair, I will note that the two biggest movies in terms of uh, buzzworthiness and audience response have both been, well, one is uh, The Irishman and the other is Marriage Story, and they are Netflix films. There That's where we are. So outside of Parasite which I would nominate as the best of the year. Um, you know, a lot of the action is just still on the small screen. I know. It's lucky I got a new couch delivered yesterday that can now fit five people on it and quite a <laughs> so few. For your home theatre. And for some cats as yes, well. Yes. Uh, one cat, sorry. Just Nora can fit mm. on it. So we've had, I feel like we've had a lot of rom-com things posed to us this year on Twitter and in real life because I think that you know, I've certainly become a person that people like to talk about uh, rom-coms with and uh, get accosted in a lovely way. Um, and I was thinking the decade's thrown a lot at us because we're at the end of a decade as well. Let's not forget that. But I didn't really want to talk about the past because I feel like everyone's talking about mm. the past. And mm -hmm. we were when we were going back and forth in our emails, the kind of theme that became quite clear to us was like, let's talk about the future of the romantic comedy and where it's going to be in the 2020s, is that what we call them, yeah, yeah. the 2020s? Yeah. So 
we're actually going to spend this talking about the future and we're going to predict it and then we're going to be totally wrong, <laughs> but it will be always recorded so it could be thrown back in our faces. Yeah, you can time capsule is, this and yeah. then, you know, just make fun of us Gotta uh, love them. Gotta love the modern world mm-hmm. for that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that's what is that's our general our general theme. Um, and I wanted to start, um, we're going to start with, I'll just start with a quote by Sidney Pollock. One of the great minds yep. of cinema. That it says, you can watch people falling in love for an hour, and you can watch them falling out of love for an hour, but you can only watch people in love for about five minutes. So true. And that led us to think about what is romantic seduction in 2020? I feel like I'm doing like a dissertation. <laughs> um, because we had a Twitter feed that someone had sent us that was to do with... Um, well, kind of taking the old romantic comedy tropes and looking at them through the eyes of the post-Me Too moment and saying, wait a second, let's look at this behavior. Um, it's all pretty awful in terms of, you know, stalking, uh, not taking no for an answer. You know, there's so many tropes that are so familiar for, for romantic comedy, including the grand gesture. I mean, as women, I think you're not a woman, I am. I feel differently about the parameters of dating now um, because I feel angry. This is going to turn into a therapy session again. Go right but I, ahead. No, I think that it's like, I think, I mean, you tell me what you think, but I think it's less about how we're going to seduce and more about where and why we're going to seduce moving forward in romantic comedies. And I think the trick to making things not feel... Um, dangerous or upsetting or weird is actually the challenge is to think up really bigger concepts and bigger bigger premises premise 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 premises thank you but i guess we still have to find ways for people to court each other (laughs) well that is the question i mean there's tinder is not romantic it just isn't i mean you know i'm not going to (laughs) disagree i mean i'm not saying it's not a, a a great medium for certain things, but I'm just, in terms of what we think of as romantic, swiping left and right, that's just not, that won't do it. And yet there always is physical attraction when someone is meeting somebody in in real life, or, and I suppose, even online. Um, And then there's always going to be some gap between an initial meet and then actually connecting with someone. So that's eternal. I don't know... That's not going to go away. I think, if anything, the Me Too movement is simply saying to specifically to male screenwriters and or to female screenwriters who haven't really looked at this, is to pay attention to what you're doing with your right. protagonists and make sure that you're not just falling into the old ways because a lot of those old ways are looking pretty dicey right now. Well, I think it really is... It's not really, like, a new question. It's a, It's the same thing that we always come back to of, like... Who, who are these people that you're writing about and, and why are they doing the things they're doing? Right. And if they feel authentic and true and real and conflicted enough, um, then that's all that matters, you know. Um, I personally think that we're going to see probably a rise of the hybrid romantic comedy moving forward a For bit. Sure. I think that the reason that we... I think the reason 2018 was such a pivotal year, and this is my big theory on it, is that post-2016, post-elections, post-Me Too movements... I love the way I talk on this pod, like, everyone that is listening to us is a lefty like us, but I'm just going <laughs> to presume you all are. Um, because right-wing people don't like romantic comedies, right? <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that one. Go right ahead. So, my theory is that two years post... So, let's say summer is just post two years after all those elections in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, that was the time it took to get some old-fashioned, feel-good romantic comedies onto your TV and onto into the cinema. Mm-hmm. So there was a sense that what we want now is things that make us feel good. We want moments that... We, we want weddings, we want birthdays, we want events that make us feel like life is worth it again because we were all essentially so depressed and so upset. So I think if you track 2016 to that summer, you can clearly see that a lot of the rom-coms that were made were very traditional romantic mm-hmm. comedies. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to run out of some steam with that and that as we progress into the next few years, we're going to start to see maybe let's try and think of bigger things. Let's let's do let's do hybrids. Let's do romancing the stone. Let's do the Back to the Future S movies that are putting romantic situations 
into the into the plot, but aren't entirely a romantic comedy. Right, and again, there's another reason for that, just in terms of marketing your movie. Um, things have changed. We're now in an era where the issue of getting somebody out of their house and into a theater is much, much, much more challenging right. than ever before. So what that means is anybody writing a romantic comedy really has to think about how will this fill the big screen? What are we doing in the world of this movie that makes somebody think, I've actually got to go out to see this? Do you think anyone's ever going to go out to see a romantic comedy? <laughs> I mean, I feel... I don't know, I, for sure. I have it's hard to, to say. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that I feel... The last one I saw in the cinema, I mean, I saw Crazy Rich Asians, but I, you know my theory on that, that it's not really a rom-com, but I I think The Big Sick was probably the last yeah, we saw that together in the movie theater. that I saw. Right. Um, in the, Yeah, we did, we did, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And we did a pod immediately afterwards. Those were the days, you yeah. see, we were much more on it. See the movie, get on see the it. pod. Mm. But I wonder, I'm actually quite excited for that kind of, I think it's a big ask to ask as writers to come up with things that are higher in concept for romantic comedies. And obviously what we don't want is a string of like, oh, we'll just shove a, you know, a romantic comedy into a story that that isn't Mm. really a romantic comedy. But I think the more unusual and the more diverse and the more complicated the situations that you put your characters in the more likely we are to see movies that are speaking to the next decade in a way that is saying, okay, so we've had a terrible time for the past few years, so we made some really nice, cosy stuff, but now we're going to start to think more deeply about about the worlds that we're showing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, like, feel like I need galvanising no. <laughs> in that sense. Sure. Um, I've spent the last year writing two movies, um, one of which is very much a screwball and one of which we can talk about later when we talk about um, female leads is, is less about that. And I've found myself constantly sort of saying out loud, I mean, not out loud, but sometimes out loud, what is, what is the point? Like, what is my, what is my axiom now? You know, what mm-hmm. am I trying in this modern world, in this horrible, horrible modern world, what question am I posing to people? Mm-hmm. Um, that is not one they've heard before. So I think we have to dig even deeper into those questions as well. Um, so yeah, so I think in terms of the seduction things, if you put people in different, in in more unusual situations, then the seductions are not going to feel creepy because you're going to be asking them different questions. I suppose mm-hmm. is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, uh, I would just posit that a movie like Yesterday, in a way, is an example of a film that at least mm-hmm. did combine. Uh, a stronger high concept story concept right to be the sort of uh you know the bed for a romantic comedy i mean i think we're also going to see different types of seduction we're going to see friendship seductions more of those we're going to see hopefully not just entirely heterosexual um seductions no Um, you're going to see a lot more of gay and hopefully even trans romantic comedies i mean i think that's where we're headed and of course the diversity issue looms large because essentially if anything uh i think the future holds less older white male driven romantic comedies. oh but then i i I gotta say i mean that's where we are it's just a reality. Yeah, and you know, I no more bros. I'm I'm done with bros. You know, yeah, I don't. Bros persist. You know, it's funny that that they yeah. won't that they won't go away. When you get drunk, honey, why don't you get drunk with me no more? You know it's been good. You've been my gushing. I mean, that does actually, like, segue us nicely into talking about the male character per se. Right. Tess had brought up this question of... Well, actually, it was Lindsay Duran. Oh, tell me what Lindsay said. So Lindsay Duran, who, if you don't know who Lindsay Duran is, then where have you been all your life as a person of culture um <laughs> Lindsay Duran is one of like the premier premier I was gonna say premier yes that word uh producers she made all the movies that you love she made Sense and Sensibility she made The Fugitive she made um maybe not the, no not The Fugitive she made The Firm maybe she even did The Fugitive she probably did anyway me and her have lots of extensive conversations about the various things 
And she sent me an email and she said, in many recent romantic comedies, a high-powered woman must come to terms with the fact that she loves a low-status man, a schlub, a high school dropout, a stripper, a recovering addict, ex-felon. What does that say? That women have to stop being picky, that low-status men are the best men because they're only the authentic men. It's the opposite of someday my prince will come. Who decided to change the fantasy, men or women? (laughs) Yeah, that particular last question I don't think we can answer. We'd have to go do a survey of all the screenwriters involved. Well, I think in terms of the male lead, I think that Judd Apatow changed the fantasy a little bit well, yeah, in the but, noughties. But, but now we're past it, right? Yes. I mean, so now it's, it's post-Apatow. So, yes, I think in the sense, when you have a movie like Longshot, which is an Apatow hero, Seth sure. Rogen, then absolutely what you're seeing is uh, the establishment of that kind of a guy as being a viable romantic hero. But then he's put in the position you're talking, that you and Lindsay are talking about, where he is clearly in the hierarchy on a much lower rung. But that's always, by the way, a classic, that's the underdog story. Right. I mean, even in some of the Austen novels, that's the whole idea. Is she's, she's a lower, she's lower in status than the, you know, whether it's a male or female, I think this taps into something that's always been there, which is we root for the people who supposedly don't deserve the great love. But yes, but that said, there's something about rooting for a a lower status man at the moment that is complex. I wrote down that I like my rom-com men like I like my real-life men. Kind, complicated, interesting, contradictory, willing to listen, willing to change, with a job and their own apartment. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think the job and the apartment thing are kind of important like I want Harry or I want Carrie Grant so Mm -hmm. Harry or Carrie are like my two like role role men models for for characters in romantic comedies that are men but also just people and human beings who are who because you could argue now what Harry does to Sally is terrible you know the next morning they sleep together right but he has to do that because yeah. that's his well, inner... that, it's very specific. That's his whole belief system. So exactly. Yeah. But no. But I'm I'm still stuck on this notion of the schlub as the accepted male lead in 2019. I would actually posit that that just means that the romantic comedy is getting more realistic about what is actually possible in, <laughs> in the world of romance. <laughs> right. I mean, we don't want to see. I'll never forget in Annie Hall the, the the beautiful blonde model couple that walks by in the park where he he stops them and he goes, "You guys look so happy and everything's fine for you and how how do you do it?" And they 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 go, "Well, because we're we're very wealthy and we're well off and <laughs> we have nothing in our minds and uh, we we just don't think about anything serious at all and we're very very happy." Right. So I I just don't know that we I don't know that Cary Grant would work at this point in time. Well. Meaning, I think that that women as well as men are maybe adjusting to the idea that the whole prince idea is kind of antiquated. I mean, I just liked it because it rhymed with Harry as well. Harry and Carrie was like my, you know. But I know what you mean. I mean, I think my I put so much of my own life into these things because otherwise, what's the point of me being a writer? But I think if I, as an audience, I don't mind seeing a man behaving badly if I know he's going to realise he's behaving badly. It's the sideways effect. I will watch Paul Giamatti behave like an absolute arsehole Uh for nearly two hours because I know he knows he's an arsehole. Right, and he'll be redeemed in the end. And Yeah, and he knows he's he's not great. And that's that's even worse than someone telling you you're not great when you know you're not great. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I feel like I would like to see moving forward... Men that um, they can still be complicated and whatever, but I guess I want to. I mean, I just want them to be funny again as well. You know, mm, some yeah. funny men funny being men. funny. Men funny being able to make fun of themselves. Mm-hmm. I think is the key thing. Well, this is the thing you ask most people what they're looking for, and third in the list after sense is sense of humor. Sure, yeah. And I'm not sure we've had enough funny leading men mm. you know I want I mean I don't know why I keep going back to romancing the stone today but you know you think about Michael Douglas in that movie and he's such an idiot but he he kind of knows he is you know yeah. and he's also like you know he's not great at the beginning he's very you know arrogant arrogant and mm. all those things 
um, and she's this romantic novelist writer, you know. But there's but but they're funny together. I feel like chemistry. But let's get some of that going. Let's screen test these people for days before you cast them. Get that chemical quotient. Oh my god! Why? Be. In fact, why yes. don't they do that? They should put them in a like room for three days together. Mm-hmm. So that they can't leave and like establish. Well, and then you get a reality TV show out of that. Part. Exactly. Then, well, you definitely get like DVD extras if anyone watches yeah, DVDs yeah. anymore. I don't. Mm. You don't. Well, okay. So when I'm still going to say I want Harry. I, I I hear you on Carrie, but I, what I like about Carrie Grant and and Spencer Tracy and some of those is that they are they are funny. I think is what and I think of them. They're they're irritating, like arrogant but funny men. Um, which is actually my worst nightmare in real life, but somehow on screen because I... <laughs> right, but see, okay, yeah. That, to me, is the issue right there. Right, you know? yeah. But, uh, no, I hear you, and in a way, here's what's interesting. To me, what I've been told from most women I know is that what they relate to in a man is confidence, that that is actually the aphrodisiac. So I think that the, the trick with the, if we want to call him the neo-lead in the current romantic comedy, it's somebody who can be confident while not being superficially at least higher up in the hierarchy in the pecking order right and also let's give them some really really deep flaws you know Mm -hmm. as in emotional things not just like oh you know i've got a big ego or i've got whatever let's actually be like underneath it all i can't get over the death of my mother you know let's give let's give them some like some actual shit to deal with, you mm. know, so that we see them unraveling and we understand why they're unraveling. Um, well, this has actually become mostly the go-to in the modern romantic comedy is you're seeing more and more movies about people who need to get over or resolve some inner conflict and the relationship is their means of doing that. Right. So that then they can get together in the end it's as if saying... Falling in love has finally enabled me to become whole. And that's very different from the older model of a romantic comedy. And yet now it's the norm. I don't think we even think about it. Anytime you're looking at one of these movies, you go, what's the inner conflict? You know, what right. But, but it's actually, in a funny way, it's sort of tilted the whole genre a bit. Because now what we're seeing is not equals, <laughs> meaning not a man and a woman who are both wholly formed, and coming together and combusting, it's almost like there's some necessary therapy for one or both of the two leads for us to even accept this as a means of getting to the resolution of a relationship. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> this is why they're so hard to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. And I think about this all the time because, because I think... <sighs> look... Some of my favorite move, some of my favorite romantic comedies are not about men and women. You know, they are Muriel's Wedding, and you know they are Sideways. Um, and but they are all. Rom- I think. I guess what we're looking for is that maybe it's maybe we shouldn't have used the word seduction. We should have used the word romance mm-hmm. because I think that seduction gets complicated because we start to think about stalkers and creeps and whatever. Whereas romance is changing and what we view as romantic and what Mm. we're asking for. So I suppose with the male lead, we're looking for different ways for them to feel romantic to us as human beings. Right, right. Um, And it's not romantic if they're just, you know, struggling with one facet of their personality. It's romantic if they're a ball of contradictions. I mean, to me, anyway. (laughs) Anyway, as a viewer. Not in real life. Get your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> or don't show. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, the simple answer to the question of uh, what is romantic seduction is actually less ghosting. For sure. Because that's well, the other thing. It's killed... Yeah. C- killed our souls, you know. Right. The no-shows and the, the, the ability for us to be like, sure, let's meet up and let's do this, and then no one does, and then you... It's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I miss the days... When my landline rang and a man said, I'm really sorry, but I can't make it. Like, I miss those days, you know? And then I'd go, oh, but I can hear the tone of your voice. Therefore, I know that you're not an arsehole. You really genuinely can't make it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just made it... The cancel culture... I'm not cancel culture. That's that's a whole different thing. But the culture of cancelling, so to speak, is so huge 
with mobile phones now you know like there are we used to look for reasons why like romantic like couples wouldn't meet up simply now it can just be like one of them can't be can't be bothered can't be asked so i'm just gonna send them a text saying right so in a way the most romantic thing of all at this point in time is somebody who will simply commit to being oh my god that's so romantic right just that they will be there. I had a situation last year where I did not believe that this man was going to show. I mean, I just was like, he is not going to show. He is not going to show. And when he did, I was amazed. Yeah. And he drove three hours. Romantic. What else do you need to know? Romantic. segues into what we want from the female lead talking about my own my own personal lives so we read someone sent us this article um about the single life this is also actually in terms of Lindsay duran's who changed the fantasy what do we want Mm -hmm. um it was about emma watson specifically the actress wasn't it that was the kickoff for it because she was proselytizing about being single and right right happy about it and they used the word sologamy i love that which i think is great so so, uh, my question is how do you write a romantic comedy about sologamy meaning Mm. to have a romantic comedy where, where a protagonist ends up alone in the end and happy well this is what's interesting is that the female 2020 lead is going to be... I mean, we have all... So look, it's like... Sologamy? Sologamy? Sologamy. And then also all these books that are called A Spinster's Life, and you've got Amazing Lizzo who puts the sin in single and all these... like, Which is great, and I'm all for it, having been single for, like, four or five years now. And... But what I'm starting to realise about single life is that it's fucking great. Hmm. And I would rather be on my own than with someone terrible. So... Or someone I'm not happy with, let's just say. Let's not put it all on them. But mm-hmm. someone that you mm-hmm. don't feel the right vibes with. And I think that my happy ending now, which which I have currently, I'm living, and I have to watch it because I can't be on my own forever because I go crazy. But I am starting... My happy ending is, is oh, wow, you're, you are happy on your own and you are comfortable on your own. That doesn't mean that you don't want intimacy and excitement and stuff that happens to you mm-hmm. but I don't mind if by the end of my movie when I look back at the last decade and I think of the bad relationships I've been in and the you know the stuff that's not been great and now I look at the end of the decade and I think oh you're on your own but my god like think back to four or five years ago when you thought all you needed was a partner and mm-hmm. now I'm like oh no that's not what I need but that doesn't mean you can't have a movie that is about realizing that yourself you know and having I'm writing a film for this last year. I've been writing a film for Scott Frank and it's very for Fox and it's very much not about a happy ending. It's a, as in a romantic happy ending, but it's about the woman at the end feeling happier in herself. And well, there you go. There is a friendship and a, a fledgling romance that occurs in the movie that is the centerpiece of the film, mm-hmm. but they definitely don't end up together. And that's really romantic to me. <laughs> Right. So, but we're in this kind of weird shadow zone, which um, one of the movies that tipped us off earlier in the 90s was they had to resolve the ending of My Best Friend's Wedding. And originally, they tried out a number of different things. And finally, they realized that in her best friend, in the Rupert Everett character, they had a way to get out. They had a way to get out of the movie, which is Julie Roberts is alone, but she's got her best friend there. Right. And so you're seeing more and more movies ever since and especially now, where that is the role model. Something great, someone great, where, you know, she's hoping that this relationship will work out. Will it work out? Will it work out? It doesn't, but she's got her best friends. She's got this clan of these wonderful women around her. So the sense is she's alone, but she's not really alone. There's surrogate love, in a sense. So you have self-love and your surrogates, and then some way of being happy. However, to make a quote-unquote romantic comedy or a movie that people will actually want to see, you still need the hour and a half in front of that. Right. You, know, you still need yeah, cause... some kind of a conflict that's being resolved romantically to even end up in that place. Right, right. right. But as a, like, I actually rewatched My Best Friend's Wedding recently and I was really struck by 
in a good way, how unlikable she is in that movie. Wonderfully so, yeah. So brilliantly yeah. unlikable. And how her obsession, you know, with, with breaking up this wedding and doing whatever. And that last scene is a bit like, and to bring up Lindsay Duran again, she always says you don't remember... Um, the losses of movies, you remember the wins. So you don't remember Rocky losing, you remember right. him winning Edge. And sure. just like Best is Ready, you don't remember... If I hadn't seen it for a while and you said, what happens at the end? What I would remember is like, oh, there's that amazing scene where her best... You know, you remember her that win that she has at the end because her right. best... She's at the wedding, she's like, okay, I'm okay. Right. And actually in Man Up, I tried to do that up until the very end that when, when Nancy does her speech, she's not saying, poor me. I've had a terrible night and I'm still alone. Right, right. She's actually saying, I'm really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. I did something a little bit crackers and I got a great night out of it and I feel better about myself. And I, yes, I would argue that I wouldn't, that I needed to, I wanted to get them together at the end, but I also don't think they're together forever at the end of Man Up. Right. So I think the subtext of a lot of romantic comedies these days is, it's not that they are anti-monogamy, but there is this sense of this is a relationship. Right. And then if this one doesn't work, there is room for another. I mean, that's become more and more the theme. Uh, 100%. And I'd like to see a movie where that mirrors that in a way that is saying at the end of this, I'm going to, we're not going to be together, but we're going to see each other once a week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I like that. That's one way to go. But here's what kind of worries me. I, I just have to say, uh, I work at a studio where we, the readers, the story analysts work on projects, do notes on drafts. So in a current project, unnamed, and I'll try to describe it without getting too specific, it's one of these ensemble movies where there are there's a central woman and two close friends. And an issue in the, in the movie is romantic, is which one of a number of different men she may end up with. And at the very end of the movie, she makes this wonderfully unexpected choice. And even though she's on this journey of self-discovery, the very last scene in the current draft is him, her meeting him and then sort of walking off together. And the note I got from the studio executive was, well, wait a second, does she have to end up with a guy in the end? I mean, couldn't it just be that she's alone and she's okay? And I thought, how wonderful. And then at the same time, I thought, oh, my God, but what what a problem. Right. As in terms of trying to write this sort of movie, right? I mean, you're, you're in this, this kind of wonderful, horrible contradiction, which is on the one hand, you have to say, yes, winning love is magnificent. We want that in our lives. And then on the other, you have to say self-love and somehow being single is perfectly fine. But you can't start a movie there, right? In other words, unless the movie is I'm marrying myself. (laughs) Brilliant. That woman that did that. And you can do it once, right? You could have that movie (laughs) once, right? I don't know quite how you construct a story. Well, I mean, I have spent the last year working with Scott has been incredible because he is teaching me how to do that. Mm. Um, Because obviously he's incredible and... And he's beating the shit out of me, and not not physically. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. No, it's but he's constantly he's constantly saying to me, "I don't ca- character truth, 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 truth." Mm-hmm. And he's constantly trying to get me to not care about what's going to happen at the end, and to mm. only care about what is happening next wow. within this story. Mm. Which obviously, for me, as a professionally trained romantic comedy writer, <laughs> terrifying. Yes. It's terrifying because yeah. I'm like. Mm-hmm. I said, but uh, but do they? What happens at the end? He's like, I don't know. Maybe he dies. Like, what? Have you really? <laughs> and then the next time That's I talk great. to him about it, I say, I've been thinking about it, and I think he should die. And he goes, No, no, he shouldn't die. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, is that I, I think my big thing is less about. I want to feel hope at the end of a movie. Yes. So, best example of a rom com where they don't get together at the end. Lost in translation. Mm-hmm. And actually, every time I watch that movie, I know I say this all the time in this podcast, but I rewatched it again recently. And every time I'm like, fuck, they do nearly sleep together. Like, they nearly kiss nearly. in the lip. Right. I know, but yeah. you know when it's... Yeah. Sometimes I, I sort of seem to blank certain parts right. of that film from my brain. And I just well, because think, we don't want them to. We don't want them to. Yeah. And I think that's the whole... That's the glorious part of that movie, is mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. they almost sometimes do. But, um, but the hope that they give us at the end in that final shot of the whisper in her ear and her face and all of those things is that's the fucking movie. Yes. 
And that's the way to do it. You are showing... Annie Hall does it to a certain degree. Right, but what I'm saying is, and I agree with you 100%, I'm just saying the, the issue is all of these movies have to put you through a romance sought and lost to get to that point. But I'm excited by that. Like, that to me <laughs> okay. feels... And I might be unusual in this, but what I want to feel at the end of a romantic comedy mm -hmm. is just good about the world. Right. I don't necessarily have to feel like two people are together forever. And that might be very different to another audience member, obviously. And I think that... But I feel like, like at the end of Someone Great, you don't feel robbed because no. you feel she has grown as a human being at the end of it. Right. Um, which brings me back to what I really do believe is the model for the modern romantic comedy, which is personal growth is really the subject of the movie. So that's what... I mean, oh, I can't do any more personal growth, though. I feel like I'm... <laughs> You've had enough. And, just to be completely self-contradictory, uh, I yearn for the movie where it is simply two fully formed adults who spar and fight and win and lose and end up together and are very happy. Well... Meaning that there still has to be room for an old-school romantic comedy, which is not about the therapy of a relationship, right? but is just about what happens when two really fascinating, fully-formed human beings combust in a wonderful way. As you were saying that, I was like, that's all I dream of doing, you know, having a script that feels like it is old-fashioned and yet new at the same time. Because it's a little scary at the moment. You know, the birth rates are down. Okay. Across, I don't across mind. The I no, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like birth rates are down, marriage rate is down. Right. Pretty much, it feels sometimes on a bad day like the whole planet is basically going off. Oh, fuck it. You know, I know. Like, let's just leave it where it is and let's not continue all of this. It's concerning. So, I'm not going to lie. Um, but look, I mean, I I feel like in summation of that big conversation we've just had that is quite huge in a good way. I think that let's just keep that, keep the hope alive. Must keep hope alive. And yes. keep the, like, let's push ourselves even harder and further in terms of what we're thinking about and doing and writing about, you know? Let's not be lazy. Like, now is not the time, particularly when you do a job like this, when you, you want to help and you want to be part of society, but actually your job is to sit, you know, on your bottom and write about stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's be, like, really mindful of that. You're great when we sing songs, honey. Well, how come we don't sing songs no more? I done my best for you, honey, please. talk about the past now and should we talk about our favorite mm -hmm. romantic comedies yes. of the decade yes by all means let's segue to the more upbeat <laughs> portion of the show and i mean uh, we solved a few things there yeah maybe. so uh, for the record i am just going to cite not the 10 best romantic comedies i haven't done 10 have you done 10 not the best 10 of 2019 but simply the romantic comedies of 2019. Oh, why did you, oh I did the whole decade. I, I didn't, did too. Oh, you, okay, great. I'm saying, but oh, prior okay, to great, decade, great. let me just, just so we understand Billy's going rogue where with we us. all now. Billy's right? going rogue with our structure. Well, I, just, I just think it's interesting. <laughs> These are the movies, in my humble opinion, qualified as being romantic comedies in 2019, and some of them did a little bit of business or did okay on Netflix. I'm going to not, because we don't speak ill of anything, I'm just going to either do thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> let, let the people at home just wonder exactly. which way it went. No, this is simply a list of what was out there. Long Shot, Book Smart, Someone Great, Always Be My Maybe, Yesterday, What Men Want, Isn't It Romantic, Last Christmas, Let It Snow, which is Netflix, and Marriage Story, which I must insist is a hybrid. It's a drama, of oh. course, but it is also hilarious. Have not seen it yet. And in some ways yet. is a romantic. Have not seen it yet. So, but I just cite this to tell you, to, just to say, this is the state we're in. Meaning, none of these movies were hits. No. None of them really changed the, you know, the situation that the genre is in. Uh, but this is where we are. We're just that was quite depressing to hit. Yeah. I mean, not like because of the movies, just to be like, oh, 
Yeah. There's not that. So now easier to sum up the decade. Much easier. So have you got ten? No, I didn't do ten. Did oh, I, did, I, did I thought 10 we were doing fave. Oh, I just mm-hmm. did fave. I've got. Okay, I can do three though. Okay, tell me your face. No, you've done ten. Jesus Christ. Well, just ones that you talk me through your ten. All right, the ones that I think are worthy of note are the kids are all right. Brilliant, love that movie. Crazy Stupid Love. Brilliant. Was that this decade? Yeah. <gasps> yeah, yeah. What year was that? Uh, 2011. Oh, so it was just... Mm-hmm. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm very... I'm a sucker for Moonrise Kingdom, which is... <laughs> uh, quietly. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Perfect movie. Her, which would be Perfect one of my movie. favorites. Trainwreck, which I really Good enjoyed. Good fun. Great fun. The Big Sick. Great movie. Love, Simon. Haven't seen it still. Oh, my goodness. I know, I must watch it. Oh, and of course, Man Up. Oh, I mean, that is the move. It's surely the rom-com of the decade. Well, it could be, (laughs) but I mean, it's up there. It certainly makes my top ten. So those are the ones I thought were worthy of note. And I throw Marriage marriage Story in there in the back end. You really like Marriage Story, don't you? As a hybrid. Well, yeah. Okay. I know you seem to be averse to seeing it, but... Well, I'll do it. Don't worry. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'll do it. It's quite good. Um... So, why well, actually, I, I, you've forgotten. I've just realised that I had another one that popped in my head. So, you said The Big Sick, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, The Big Sick's definitely in mine. Um, I'm going to throw Before Midnight into that. Oh, right. I totally forgot about that. Um, because I um, love those movies more than life itself. Um, Do you think it's as good as the first no, two? No, nowhere near. But no. it's what... There are no other rom-com sequels. Right, so let's, that's true. Right, you yes. know, let as, alone a, as trilogy. a trilogy. As a trilogy, oh, yes. It's, it's okay. a depressing, terrible ending. Yes. To, Put it up there. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw in Enough Said, which I think is a gorgeous romantic comedy. Yes, yes. Um, which is Julie Louise Dreyfus mm-hmm. and James Gandolfini. Yep, yep, um, love that movie. But I'm going to say my favourite romantic comedy of the decade is Obvious Child. Um, huh. I am going to just... Not just because I think it's a great movie, but because I think and a rom-com about abortion will, mm-hmm. in this country, in this climate, will always get my vote. Yeah, no, and I I'm... also think that it has the women at the fore of that movie in a way that is really excites me. Yes, I'm a big fan of that film, and I do discuss it in detail oh, good. In, in the new book. Uh, and I do touch on enough said. It's just that Obvious Child, unfortunately, wasn't really seen. That's why it just doesn't. Well, you know, it's this is so why I'm saying it now yeah. because yeah. obviously, if you haven't, you should. It's a great yes. little movie. Jenny Slate, Jenny Slate love her. Yeah. She's a great rom com heroine. And Robespierre's. The yes, name? Gillian Robespierre. Yeah, Gillian yeah, Robespierre's yeah, the director. Yeah. She's great. Really, yeah. really a great piece of work. Yes. So that is well. That's. I mean, that's. Actually, talking about the decade... Well, the decade looks feels, good. The decade yeah. looks really good. I mean, those are some strong films. I forget her as 2013. It feel, Her feels like it was a lot longer ago for some yeah. reason. And, of course, we've left out, but should dutifully mention, that meanwhile there is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Like that a lot. And there are some of those other uh, Netflixable uh, romantic comedies yep. that are, are actually Yeah, But, you know, it's not been a bad decade. It's, I mean, no. no, not at all. You know, Silver Linings Playbook, what year was that? That is 2012. Gosh, again, you see, I feel like I've got in the time machine. If you'd said to me, was that in the last decade, I would have said, no, that was in, I was like... I have no sense of time, so I'm certainly not... Well, that's a great summation. Okay, and finally, we're going to steal a... We're going to try and see if this works. It might not work, but we're stealing a... um, Oh, was there anything else that you had on your list? Well, there's just there was a yeah, question. Yeah, you were looking. So Billy was. Well, there, there was a question that I meant to ask earlier when we were talking about the new seduction or the new romance, which is, do women like to receive dick pics? <laughs> this is the question that has been on my mind for quite some time because it's this established thing, meaning men are still sending them, right? So I really want to hear from a woman. Like, is that really something you want to see on your phone? Oh, my God. I, that was not what I thought you were going to ask. Oh, that was great. That's great. Um, okay. Truthful answer, because I'm a rom-com heroine, is I don't want to see it. I don't mind the suggestion of it. So talking about it. No, as in, like, I don't mind. <laughs> oh, God. This is, I love that I'm actually seriously answering this. I, I don't want to see a, a dick pic per se, right. particularly not unsolicited, particularly mm-hmm. if you're not in the middle of actually having some sort of sexy conversation. You right. know what I mean? I mm-hmm. I need a consensual dick pic. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But even a consensual dick pic, but like, does that work? Not. But what I'm saying is, is sometimes 
without being too specific, the suggestion in yeah. a photograph of something is more is yeah, more is better is more sedu- seductive than yeah. But your standard dick pic is just as graphic as it gets. I, mean, you know. I know. So I mean, I'm going to speak for all women and say, you know, everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> Okay, nicely avoided. And everything is context. Okay, and all right. But what's I'm, your but mo- what is your motivation? But I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I remembered to ask. I am so glad that's made my day. Um, so we just had a little thing to add on at the end, stealing a little concept from John August and Craig Mason um, on their podcast. They do a thing called "Can it? Can this be a movie?" Oh right. So you sent me this article and. In the guise of can could this be a rom com or you know yeah um, and we get sent a, I get sent a lot of those things you know stories of like people sitting next to each other on planes and falling in love and filming it and someone right. else filming it <clears throat> but so, this one this one begins in Auschwitz yes this is a very <laughs> the setup is very rom com but it's a story that was in the New York Times if you haven't read um, I'll put a link to it when we tweet this but um yeah no it must be read and get out your handkerchief yes it's, it's really quite incredible. but the but the the premise the the, the Let's try and like um, pitch it. Um, is okay, they meet in the camp. She's uh, twenty-five and he's seventeen. He's seventeen. Uh, they start. Uh, she's in a capacity where she's working in the camp, and so she has a little bit more power, and thus they're able to arrange a way to get together. And they have these clandestine meets until it gets so dire, and pe- you know that the, the camp is being cleared out, and they have to separate, and they make a pact. To meet in Warsaw. Correct. Once they're out of the camps. Yes. Now, I don't want to give away the whole rest of the story. But, but... well, I think we can because they're going to read it anyway and we want to figure out how we do this as a rom com. Right. So I so, think we have to. So it takes, <laughs> so they're both of their lives take very different turns when they get out of the camp. And long story short, it takes literally 50 years. I think it's longer. I think it's 72 years till they meet up because they're well into their late, you know, last decades. So so they, they they meet when they are both elderly and with other people. And there's a kind of a fascinating uh, get together in the end where they reunite and uh, talk about what they what they've been through. And it's just it's devastating. Well, the kicker, were you going to get to the kicker of it? Say the kicker. Well, you missed out a few beats if you were pitching this. So they agree to meet in Warsaw. And she goes, he does not. Well, this is the thing. She goes, he doesn't to that one. I mean, it's basically a holocaust before sunrise or before sunset, <laughs> the second one. Right. Um, and then years later, he keeps track of her, even though he's married. And then they arrange, they're both in New York or in a, somewhere in America and... So he oh, asked, right. they arranged so a they arranged a meeting, and then she doesn't show she doesn't to show that up. one right. because she's married and right. thinking I shouldn't really, right. you know, do whatever. Yeah. Um, so they both continue with their lives, yeah. but keeping sort of track of what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, and I think what's interesting as well in terms of this as a as a rom com, which is obviously a tricky thing to do when you're talking about something so horrific. But actually, my great aunt Lisa Lot, um, who was in um, Dachau and Bergen Belsen, um, she she got herded into the women's camp and never saw her husband again Mm. um and subsequently lived to be 101 it's crazy like her daughter died in the camp age six so so like Mm. i but she was one of the funniest funniest human beings i ever met i met Uh her in new york once when she was i think she must have been in her 90s but the point is is that sometimes some of these stories are ripe for comedy as Mm. i mean i never actually saw life is beautiful but but this is if you pitch this as a without the Auschwitz stuff it wouldn't be interesting no. I mean, this is the whole idea of having these yeah. two people so they when they finally meet years later he says to her did you save well did you save my life right he wants to know if she in fact was responsible for him being alive and she said five, five times. times so five yeah, times she stopped the guards coming to get him yeah. and five times oh, she God. said he's okay you know leave him alone hmm. so the whole arc of that story—I mean, it is a movie. As I, whoever wrote it, I can't remember the journalist. It's a—it's brilliantly written as a, as a story. And I kept thinking to myself, actually, there's a lot of humour in this, you know, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of very like gallows humour in terms of like I—I I got through a fucking concentration camp, and then I went to meet you. And you weren't there, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, that in itself yeah, is right. like an inherently. Yeah. There are there's the tragic version of this as a movie, which mm-hmm. stars Kate Winslet and you know uh, whoever who would be the man. It would be Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody, exactly. Two two very famous mm-hmm. Holocaust 
actors and actresses, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Together like, for the first time. Together for the first time. But and they but that's one version, isn't it? But there right. is the other version which is Will Ferrell and Julia Louise Dreyfus, you know. Um, <laughs> not bad. Actually. No, thank you. They're actually oh, they are in a movie coming out next year, which is a remake of Force Majeure, which I'm very excited oh, about. Yes. So mm. that's why they pop to mind mm. as two complicated human beings. Mm. But actually I think this it's a good end to us what we've been talking about, because actually here is a unbelievably unique and specific story. Indeed. That, that I'd love to see someone's take on this as mm-hmm. a as a drama a romantic dramedy, you know. I mean you can't obviously just make a full on rom com out of this. I think you need to be very No, but I mean Life is Beautiful is a good role model for it because there you do. Or how do you find the comedy in that kind of tragedy? And this is the thing, all of my Jewish family, and I'm sure you have the same, they they find comedy in oh, God, yes. in stuff that a lot of people wouldn't, you mm. know? So I think like I when I when you sent this to me, I thought, gosh, isn't it nice to be sent something that you can in romantic comedy sense, you can see it as this wonderful, unique version of something rather than just, here's two people that, you know, filmed each other on a plane because they fancied each other or whatever. I mean, I love that story, by the way. I think it was yeah. the I think it was a woman that was filming the couple chatting on the plane and then they ended up getting... I mean, I think that's great and lovely, but do I want to watch a movie with two people sitting on a plane? Maybe I do, actually, if it was, like, snakes on a plane, <laughs> romp... <laughs> As long as there's a snake. Yeah. Yes. Are you, what are you doing for Christmas, Billy? We're going out to the desert. Oh, I love with, that. With uh, another couple, and uh, we're going to enjoy the desert uh, <laughs> <laughs> and everything that can be found there. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. And yourself? I am going to be in Los Angeles. I'm going to go to Ojai for a little bit, oh, and sweet. then I come back on Christmas Eve, and I go and gate crash someone else's family. I'll be the Holly Hunter, but going home for someone else's Christmas. Mm. Um, and so, LA during the holidays. Oh, it's the best. So you can actually drive. Exactly. It's amazing. I mean, oh, it's a beautiful. And it thing. did take me an hour and a half to get to you today. Oh, but Lord. we have been drinking old fashions the whole way through this, and we wish you a very uh, merry, happy and merry everything. Yeah. Whatever it is that you want. And may yeah. all your rom com dreams come true. true. <laughs>